Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Oscar noms are out, the Love Hong Kong film poll results are finally revealed, and we look at the films The Guillotines and The Grandmasters. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Friday, January 11th, 2013. Uh, unusual day for us, uh, but we're here nonetheless. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me, as always, from his super secret location, even on a Friday, right here in the Fragrant Harbor, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hey, Paul. How are you? All right. Uh, we are a couple days late this week. Uh, you've been a a busy beaver between work and uh, going out and seeing films and doing other stuff. So uh, how are you feeling on this Friday evening? Pretty good. Um, another week, a uh, long week, uh, of course, trying to get out of the, the holiday funk, so to speak. But of course, we're going into another holiday at the end of the month. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, it's really weird because, you know, it's it's almost like holiday overkill um, because they do celebrate, to, to some extent, they celebrate Christmas and then you've got regular new years and then you've got chinese new year um and so there's this there's a slight lull but you know that there's this another holiday period coming so um maybe that makes some people happy it makes me happy because i'll have some time off but then i also have to give out money (laughs) Uh, so i've got that working around in the back of my brain but this year we get to get some money back too so uh hopefully it'll, it'll all even out now that we have our own little one and uh she can go around and uh Earn a little cash for us. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, hey that, that's a college fund right there, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. There you go. Um, so what else is going on in the world of Kevin Ma? Uh, not much, you know, same old, same old, just uh, staying busy. The, 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 I'm still a very proud uncle, uh, as I said last week, uh, and um, trying to survive the month before my holiday back to the states uh, next month yeah you know you got to be careful because uh they're talking about uh it's going to be a really bad flu season right now in the states and uh i think i've already uh encountered my fair share of sickness uh, last month and in, in the month of november um but you might want to think about getting a flu shot when you get over there oh i i don't do shots i just wash my hands a lot and usually everything i actually if, if i can avoid the flu here in hong kong knock wood I, I i'm pretty sure i would just use the same precaution i do in the states and because i'm more cautious in hong kong because you know all the you know it's a dense city and there's a lot of people and you're touching a lot of things all the time so i i think if i use the same precaution as i do in the states uh as i do here then it should be okay yeah you know if it's not the bird flu it's the pig flu if it's not the pig flu it's the Peking duck flu or <laughs> you know there's always a some kind of flu floating around out around here didn't they uh, wasn't i just reading something about uh, they said there's another h h1n1 going around beijing right about now or something 
if they found like some kind of new virus in Hong Kong in uh, Hong Kong fishes or something like that, you know, it's always ah, yeah, it's always you know, it's always it's always the next food group. You know, it's like this year kill all the chickens, next year kill all the pigs, the <laughs> year after kill all the fishes. You know, it's like to give. I guess it's to give the other uh, industries a chance to to recover from their losses. So. You know, this year you can't eat pigs, or next year you can't eat pigs, so you'll turn to fish. The following year you can't eat fish, so you'll turn back to pigs. Um, I don't know, it all works out in the end, and hopefully everybody is going to have a very healthy and happy uh, Chinese New Year coming up. Uh, but we're not here to talk just about that stuff. We are here to talk about some films. What are we going to look at this week, Kevin? Uh, this week, uh, all East Screen movies will be talking about The Guillotines, uh, starring Ethan Wren and uh, Sean Yu. Uh, and also the movie that you know many of us have been waiting for, Wong Kar Wai's The Grandmaster. Yes, at long last, uh, the 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 long-awaited Wong Kar Wai film, uh, supposedly about Ip Man, but not really about Ip Man. And uh, it's here, although I kind of feel like I I'm I'm back from the future. It kind of feels like it, it's weird that it's actually out and it's not out because. You know, it's going to be getting um, some big premieres in, uh, what is it, uh, what's the big festival? Berlin. Berlin, yeah, that it's going to be uh, opening up at. So uh, it was kind of weird to get out and see it, and we'll talk a bit more about it, especially the the, the real weirdness for me is the fact that not all the theaters uh, here in Hong Kong were playing it with English subtitles. Uh, a majority of the theaters were playing it with um, with uh, Chinese subtitles. And so we actually had to be very picky and choosy about where we were going to get out and see it. Uh, we'll talk more about that when we talk about the film itself. Uh, but for now, let's get into a little bit of news. All right, so not a lot of news this week. We're going to spend uh, a considerable amount of time probably talking about our two films. Um, but a couple news stories of note. Up first, a little bit of East Screen news. And that is from our friend and fellow or sister site, you might consider it, uh, 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 from our friend Kozo. That is the lovehkfilm.com site, uh, which uh, Mr. Ma also blogs over through. Uh, the best 200 film Hong Kong films ever poll has finally wrapped up at long last. It's been going on for what seems like almost as long as the production time for a Wong Kar Wai film, right? Uh, but now at long last, they've gotten down to number one. So uh, thoughts on the list, Mr. Ma? Um, well, I haven't had a chance to, well, because it's 200 films and, you know, I just kind of keep track here and there or entry to entry. Um, but uh, I, even though it wasn't my top film uh, in my vote, I definitely, 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 definitely like seeing Chungking Express up there on top. Uh, it's one of my favorite films actually ever. Um, so even though I voted A Better Tomorrow is the best Hong Kong film ever made, or my favorite Hong Kong film ever made, um, yes, I'm very glad to see it on top and very glad to see it be Inferno Affairs, which I personally think is very, very overrated by this point. Mm. Um, otherwise, I mean, there's some stuff that I remember reading entry to entry. There's always, always some kind of shock. I was expecting A Better Tomorrow to be up higher, but of course, this list is mostly... Most of the votes that come in are from uh, overseas uh, fans, and a better tomorrow here resonate a lot more with uh, actually local film fans than than say over overseas. So, if this was a, I think this is a poll that that uh, that had more local votes, I think a better tomorrow would have done much better. Hmm. Um, especially yeah. up in first place. Especially as I look at uh, the. Otherwise, Paul, what what do you think? Chunking Express over over Inferno Affairs. Well, I'm uh, not a huge fan of either film. <laughs> 
to be honest. Uh, I think they'd probably both be somewhere in my top 20. Um, I, I'm not sure they'd be that high up on, on my own personal list. But uh, as we look through the, the, we'll just go through the top 10. I, I would urge everyone to go over to the site and uh, look through uh, the listing. I'm hoping that at some point we'll have just um, a full list without all the entries so we can just look at the titles um, as, as one compiled list. But uh, number 10, Stephen Chow's Shaolin Soccer. Um, I don't know, what do you think? Uh, of Stephen Chow films, top 10 material? I think Shaolin Soccer is certainly kind of the peak of his directorial career. And I think if, if it was, if this is the, the, the best ranking um Stephen Chow film on the list uh then it's it certainly uh makes sense mm. be on. it has a lot of fans overseas and abroad and it isn't it isn't a film that really um how do I say it's not really those best ever films but uh, uh, at number 10 I'm I'm satisfied mm. I'm yeah. happy uh number 9 Peking Opera Blues Play Hard um I'm, I'm, I like the film uh, and I know that it has a because I only seen the film in the last couple of years. It's for mm. me, it's a very recent watch, and it, for me, it's not like one of those uh, things that I look back on fondly. That you know, is a classic to me because I've seen it a few years ago. But um, of course, lots of fans, especially I know that Kozo is a huge fan of this. And yeah. uh, Paul, you you're a big fan of this. Yeah, film, yeah, right? it's it's one of my favorite films as well. Uh, number eight, definitely one that would probably be in my top five or top ten uh, for sure. Chinese Ghost Story. Not not my top ten. Wouldn't be my top ten. Wouldn't be your top ten. Just not one of those things that really connected with me because again, I think it's a lot of a nostalgic element in it. Mm. Uh, for me, it's not something that I grew up. Unfortunately, this this film I probably saw it when I was a very small child, but it's not something that you know grew up along with me. Mm. So so perhaps uh, yeah, I don't I didn't connect with it as much. Yeah. Uh, number seven, Police Story by yep. Jackie Chan. On my top ten, uh, just just no one watches uh, Jackie Chan story for, for I mean Jackie Chan film for the story, but here, you know, I I, I don't want to say excuse the film story storytelling because it's um it's purely action film because this film balances everything that you want essentially in mm. like a good action film. Yes, lots of action, uh, a plot that's easy to understand, but at the same time, a lot of humor. Um, there's a love story. There's everything thrown into one big pot and it all kind of balances it out well um and of course it's all about the action so yeah, yeah for me it's a it's essentially a hong kong action classic and possibly one of the best hong kong action films ever made okay. uh number six hard-boiled again um again very simple plot but lots of humanity lots of uh characters you care about uh but you know at the same time you know tons of action um so if, if Police Story is, is, is you know, one of the best stunt films ever made in Hong Kong, then Hard Boy is one of the best gunplay films ever made, yeah. I think. Although I'm, I'm sure uh, the next 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 film is, is also very well-liked for the gunplay, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but of course, I mean, with Hard Boiled, a lot of similar themes to Infernal Affairs. You know, you've got uh, the, you know, it's not, they're not ex by any means exactly the same film, but there are a lot of, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of uh, being the undercover cop, and you know sort of losing your identity losing yourself within that role um something that's been played out quite a few times in hong kong cinema of course in terms of undercover uh, cop films in hong kong cinema if man on the brink kind of created the genre then i think um uh hardball elevated it to just just took that formula and elevated it to you know 
super big action topic. And I don't think any any other undercover films will ever top this in terms of. Well, you know, the one that always sticks out in my mind is uh, the one with Jackie Chung, uh, "To Live and Die in TST." I think is it. Ah, uh, yeah, but actually, that's that's not. I don't think that's as well or. You know, people know, but it's not one of those films that are as yeah. No, it's it's definitely not a... definitely not well known. I'd say internationally, like uh, certainly not in Infernal Affairs or even a Hard Boiled. You know, I, Jackie Chung, I don't think carries the same kind of international presence that uh, that even even Andy Lau. I mean, Chow Yun Fat certainly does, but uh, you know, Andy Lau probably has a significantly broader acting presence than perhaps Jackie Chung. Oh, for um, sure. Jackie Chan is mostly known as a. As but a, I love a Jackie Chan as an actor, and and I wish he would do more roles. I really do. He, he's um, a very underrated actor, but one that doesn't really. He's not showy. He wouldn't be called showy actor, and I think he's satisfied with not being known as an actor. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And so, as you were mentioning, our number, the number five film, The Killer. Uh, this is another one that's probably up there for me. Um, it's it's got a special place in, in my mind more so than Hard Boiled or um, A Better Tomorrow. This is this is probably my favorite um, Chow Yun Fat gunplay film. I prefer Chow Yun oh, Fat in comedies. That's the Chow Yun Fat that I like. You know, like uh, Diary of a Big Man and uh, um, you know stuff like that. But when it comes to gunplay, The Killer is is probably uh, my favorite film of his. Well, it's also a. Uh, uh... A classic, uh, homoerotic classic. Yes, the 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 whole the whole idea of bromance really, it, it kind of extends out of this. Right. Um, number four, in the mood for love. Oh yeah, I, I love it. I, I actually for the Grandmaster, I to prepare for it, I recently uh, saw um, watch a few Wong Kar films again, including in the mood for love. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it totally a classic, a, a um, a very good romance, but very subtle, very. Um, traditional Wong Kar Wai, as you as one might say, a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same handling. The music is great. Just just one of my favorite. Again, one of my favorite Hong. I think it's on my top ten, definitely. Mm-hmm. And then in number three, we're back to Mr. Chow uh, with A Better Tomorrow, the uh, the uh, original film directed by John Woo. Again, just about one of the just about probably the most iconic Hong Kong film ever made. Uh, lots of classic imagery. Um, uh, brotherhood, um, a very emotional film for a film made for men. Um, and again, I think it's, as I mentioned, it is my first place film. Yeah. And um, interesting note that uh, Kozo has put up, um, coming in at 213, just outside of the top 200, is the film Story of a Discharged Prisoner from 1967, directed by Patrick Lung, which has actually served as the base material. Uh, Better Tomorrow was kind of inspired by... Um, it's not exactly the same film, and and certainly as uh, Kozo writes in the in the little capsule synopsis, um, it's not a gunplay film, um, but one that served as sort of a, a foundational idea for a better tomorrow, and one that I would like to get out and see at some point. Um, it's one of those older films, kind of difficult to come across with English subs. Yeah, I, th- I don't think there's an English sub version available. I, I ripped the VCD uh, that we borrowed. Uh from someone I borrowed from a friend of a show. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. So I, so I have that. I haven't watched it yet, but I look forward to watching it. And Stephen Fung is also remaking story of a discharged prisoner. Uh, not, not a better tomorrow story of a discharged prisoner to be specific. Stephen Fung. 
Stephen Fung, uh, not Stephen Fung is producing it. Sorry, Doji New, the director of uh, manga and love. Okay, um, but it's produced by Stephen Fung. I was gonna say, if Stephen Fung's directing. I think we're gonna get a slightly comedic version of uh, story of a discharged prisoner, right? Oh no, I think or, or a Stephen slightly, Fung is slightly meta capable version. of trying to cross over to dramatic filmmaking, but he's just not doing it. With, I hope uh, he doesn't though. I like I like his style. I know we've talked about that before. I like his style. I, I like his sense of humor. And I like the way that he plays with genre and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, Number two, Infernal Affairs. Overrated. When, what is it in my top ten? Mm. I, think, I think it's a fine it's a fine commercial film. It's a very entertaining film. It's a lot of good acting. I mean, the writing is great, but the directing really ruined it, I think. Mm. Um, especially editing. Um, I still think it's a very weak film when it comes to the... I think, I think film, when it comes to filmmaking, I think Infernal Affairs 2 is superior. Um, but you know, I think a lot of people kind of are, were, there's a lot of hyperbole going on about the film. And, uh, personally, I know there's a lot of people who, who calls it the best, blah, 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 blah. But I think it, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know what they see in it. Well, here's my thing. I, I like Infernal Affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it'd be in my top 10, probably be in my top 20. Um, I, the thing I don't like about Infernal Affairs is Infernal Affairs 2 and Infernal Affairs 3. Because <laughs> Infernal Affairs, when it came out, was a good, solid gangster movie with really good acting, you know, and and a solid story. Again, not a story that we kind of hadn't seen before, but an updated story of, of you know, the, the undercover cop. And it worked well for the time period when, in which it came out. And then it did so well that they went back and said, oh, we're going to go back and make a prequel and a sequel. And of course, then you throw in the the, the whole um, alternative ending nonsense, so it can get airtime air in China, and it just starts to kind of collapse in on itself. And it got it just got too much hype, and and, and it kind of ruined it for me because um, I really liked it, you know, when it came out, and it just got overexposed and 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 overdone, and and I guess the hype, you know, I I don't like hype. Kind of. Hell, even the film itself, the film itself is overdone. It's totally overdirected by Andrew Lau. The editing is really choppy at points, and and there's a lot of stuff that just kind of gets, it's kind of sloppy filmmaking. And, you know, as great as the cinematography is and as great as some of the editing was, I still think it's a film that kind of trips on itself because it, it, it believed itself to be so good that um, they they forget to realize a lot of filmmaking well, flaws. I um, think that's true, and I, but I think it it did have... It was okay to believe it. How how can I say this? Because at the time, movies were getting so crappy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like we're, we've been in this down downhill spiral with Hong Kong cinema. So that when you do get an overproduced film like Infernal Affairs, people look at it and go, "Wow, Hong Kong film can still do stuff like this." Whereas if you were to put it in the con, I mean, I, and I think this is why it doesn't appear wouldn't appear in my top ten. You put it in the context of films from the '90s and the '80s, and you go, "Yeah, it's a, it's an okay film." You know, uh, for the 2000s, it's a great film because everything else is so mediocre. Well, I, I think I think in, when I first watched it again, I've I've seen it a few times. Uh, obviously, especially after I first saw it, around the time it came out, I've seen it tons of times. And and the same flaws still annoy me. <laughs> the same flaws that annoy me the first time still annoyed me afterwards, and it still annoys me today. And that's how I know that, like, okay, this film just there's some things that just don't work for me. That 
de- that didn't want me to put it in the top ten. That isn't spell out for me one of the best. It is an iconic film. Uh, although a lot of the icon are just kind of self-created. Um, just kind of like Cold War. I think I have a feeling that Cold War would have would, would suffered from this kind of hyperbole in a few years. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a solid film, um, of course. And I think, uh, but I thought that Andrew Lau really kind of killed the movie with yeah. his. Uh, and we're gonna talk about guillotines later and talk about how Andrew Lau killed that movie. <laughs> and it kind of still, it just furthered my my dislike for Andrew Lau's films. And I I think that for him to be taking credit for Inferno's Fair today, I still think it's shameful. It's shameful. Hmm. And so that finally brings us to the number one film on the list. Um, and and I'll let you talk to, uh, a bit more to this film because it's. It's not one of my favorite films, to be sure. Really? Okay, number one is, uh, yeah, Chunking Express. It, it's just one of those things that... I When I first watched it, I was very young, and I didn't understand what the hell was going on. You know, why is this guy talking to the soap? Why are the, story, why are the two different stories? I don't understand. But then the more you get into it, you, you, again, it's a very iconic movie. You always remember Bridget Lin's uh, uh, The Wig, um, the... the little sprinkles of humor throughout the film. There are really great lines, like um, Takeshi Kaneshiro's uh, line that, that he uses to hit on Bridget Lin. And of course, the second half, which is uh, the Tong Lido and Fei Wong uh, romance. Um, just, it's all about you know the, the energy of living in Hong Kong, and yet uh, you're living in such a dense place, you know, a lot of close spaces. But the, the isolation of each character in this film is so... Heartfelt, you feel it if you, especially you live in the city and you you living in the pace. It is the film that kind of uh, um, defines a Hong Kong way of life. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and but at the same time, it's not a heavy film. It's done with um, it was done on the fly, pretty much by Wong Kar Wai after um, during the post production of Ashes of Time. So it was it was a film that was such a creative, sudden creative burst that um, you know some some filmmakers are especially those I know in film school, they're better at improvising things and making films than making films that are um, planned out and they're, you know, have a long pre-production period. And I think this also proves that Wong Kar Wai perhaps can work better when he's just doing his thing, when he's just jamming, essentially, the mm. equivalent of jamming. Um, and I miss that Wong Kar Wai. I like to see that Wong Kar Wai again. And, um, but until then, this is still my favorite Wong Kar Wai film. Yeah. Um, so there you have it. You've got uh, 200 plus films to go and look at, and we urge you to go over and, and uh, check out the site. The listing will be up um, in perpetuity, I guess, until uh, until Armageddon comes and uh, takes out the internets. <laughs> but it'll be there for you to see. This is this is quoted as the last poll that the Love Hong Kong film um, uh, administrator is going to be running. Uh, and I don't know. You you work with him. Do you think he's gonna stick to his word? Where else would you go from here? No, no, no possible poll can talk. Well, see, this is best. this is one of my things. Is I mean, we look at these films, and uh, a majority of them are from eighties and nineties. And yeah, you know, especially you look at the top ten eighties and nineties, and a couple from the two thousand era. Um, and part of the problem is is that we can't really dig into archives beyond that. It's the, you know, the material is just not available. There's probably some really amazing films that should be on this list um, from the seventies, you know, or from the sixties that people just can't get a hold of and they don't, they don't have exposure to. Um, so I think, it, and I've talked with uh, Ross a little bit about this. I think it'd be difficult to do like a best of the seventies or a best of 
the 60s and to try and get people because people haven't seen them and, and you can't see them right now unfortunately maybe that'll change you know maybe one day the um, Hong Kong Film Archive will uh, go online and uh, you'll just be able to go through a massive archive of film and watch anything mm-hmm. but um, no I, I, I think that perhaps in a decade uh, Kozu may run another blo- uh, poll but of course that's a long long time away and who knows where it will be who knows anyone where anyone will be so for now you know, I think um, the 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 important part isn't to read the poll and think that oh, it's the it's a definitive list because after all, there's only 160 some people in the world. Um, this doesn't represent all the taste of all Hong Kong film fans. I mean, there's millions of Hong Kong film fans here. That's um, just to see what people who also read the website thinks about Hong Kong films. Um, just see it as what it is and don't think too much of it. Yes, the the results aren't going to match the previous polls, but you know, taste change and um, films, films reputation also change with time. At the so, very least, um, this will, this is a good, you know, a good launching platform. If you're somebody who's new to Hong Kong cinema, you're not sure what to, what to go out and look for. Um, these lists really do serve as, you know, beacons to stuff that um, should be on your radar. Yeah, definitely. If they were new to Hong Kong film, this is the list that you should go by first uh, for introduction. Sadly, a lot of the films are not available on dvd but um but yeah um but try your best to find these and uh yeah you're trying to learn about hong kong films this is definitely the list to look at all right so a little bit of other news coming from uh the west the western side of the pond i guess um the oscars the nominations the nom nom noms have finally been released uh they were released uh, yesterday i believe and uh i guess you want to give us some thoughts on 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 some of your uh, on some of the nominations? You've seen some of these. We haven't had a chance to see a lot of them, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, listeners to the show will know that I despise awards shows and programs. Um, I will pay attention to you know who the winners are, um, but I'm certainly <clears throat> probably not going to watch uh, the program. I'd much rather watch like the I, I like watching the Hong Kong Film Awards and that that. Piques my interest somewhat, but uh, you mean you like my my live blog? Yes, right? I love I'm your I love I love Kevin's live blogs no matter what he's doing. He could live blog, you know, a pie eating contest and it would be awesome. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, just watching award shows I find in, insanely boring. I'd much rather just you know wake up the next day and look at the list of what's won. Um, but we do have a listing here. Uh, we're looking right now at the I'm looking at the Huffing, Huffington Post listing of. Uh, some of some of the um, some of the nominations. So, you have any thoughts? Yeah. Well, out of the nine uh, best picture nominees, I've only seen four of them: uh, Life of Pi, Argo, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, and uh, Les Miserables. Yeah, um, I've only seen one. <laughs> which was that? is Life of Pi? So, I've I'm only sorry, gotten, was... I've only gotten to see one, which ah. is Life of Pi. So. Yeah, we don't have um, Gen- we don't have so Jane I, I, wouldn't, I haven't seen the other five films, and I hope to see it, see them soon. Uh, a few of them are definitely opening in Hong Kong. For for example, Django, uh, Django and Chain will be opening next week. Um, Zero Dark Thirty um, is one film I'm very looking forward to. Uh, unfortunately, the director uh, Catherine Bigelow um, uh, missed out on the Best Director nominations. I don't know why, because um, it is one of those films that are very director driven. Did she get snubbed for Hurt Locker? Yeah, well. She has a very long career. She's, I mean, she made Point Break. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this it sounds like a film that's very directorial, director driven. It's very strange that that um, uh, she would get left out. But uh, Argo, actually, same thing. Also, very director driven film. Um, ben Affleck literally he he the, his 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 way of handling suspense in the film was was a very big part of why he's so good. But he got left out for for best directing, even though he was uh, nominated for uh, it's nominated for best film. Um, one of the other uh, films that are miss, is missing is The Master, which is a very early contender back in September when it won the Golden Lion in, in Venice. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is pretty much my one of my favorite filmmakers. Uh, I haven't seen the film yet, but uh, I'm surprised that after all the acclaim The Master got, it didn't get nominated for um, the directing nor best picture. Um, can't say much about the other stuff, you know, like uh, Lincoln or Silver Linings Playbook or Amour. Um, neither, um, but uh, really happy to see uh, Roger Deakins get nominated for Skyfall. Uh, of course, films like these tend to not win. Yeah. So there was there so, was a um, there was a rumbling uh, somewhere on the internet. Um, I don't remember what I was reading, um, but somebody was saying you know the the nerds are going to go into nerd rage because uh, uh, the Dark Knight Rises got nothing. And. One could say I was expecting to get something from technical side because it is a very great film uh, on a technical scale. Not even even best score. I mean, the film was you know the score was wonderful. Even the the film itself didn't deliver the score. You can't deny that the score it was was excellent. Uh, but that got um, Hans Zimmer unfortunately got 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 uh, snubbed. Uh, in fact, no uh, no um, technical work whatsoever. So I'm not sure why. Um, Otherwise, you know, I'm happy to see Life of Pi get so many nominations. Uh, I love that film. Uh, and uh, yeah, just generally very happy. Les Mis de Rob, I guess, was an award bait movie and, and uh, the Academy took the bait. But otherwise, yeah, I hope to um, watch as many of the films I haven't watched uh, as many of them as possible over the next month or so before the, the actual award ceremony. And uh, we'll talk about this again, I guess, after uh, the award is over. Yeah. Um, the other The other category that kind of sticks out for me as animated feature um, with Brave, Frankenweenie, Paranorman, uh, Pirate's Band of Misfits, and Wreck-It Ralph. And I've seen all of those except for uh, Pirate's Band of Misfits. I know it's out on video. I just need to uh, get out and get it at some point. Um, I've seen Wreck-It Ralph, The Pirates, and Brave, and I don't really care if I would rather I see Paranorman or Frankenweenie. But um, Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I, I know a lot of people liked Paranorman. It it, I don't know, it didn't do a whole lot for me, and Frankenweenie was, as as excited as I was to see it, was a little bit of a disappointment. Um, and Brave, I've seen it, I think I've seen it twice now, and uh, didn't really stick out as much as I had hoped it would. Uh, didn't it, it, it wasn't as original as I thought it might be, and we talked about that when we reviewed it uh, a couple shows back. Uh, Wreck It Ralph. I don't. That would be my choice, but I, I'm biased because I'm a gamer. So <laughs> I think. Um, I think. Uh, but a lot I, of I, I, to be fair, I've got to see the pirates. People are are kind of you know think, getting up there in age. They yeah. might not. They might not play with the game thing so much. And uh, there's a good chance that Pixar could win again. Who knows? Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. But um, it's just yeah. a very safe pick. Right? Yeah, it's a safe pick. Um, very safe pick. And I. But I. I I remember you said you really liked Pirates Band of Misfits, so maybe that oh, yeah, has, maybe yeah. that has a shot. I don't know. I'll have to give it a give it a go. Could be too silly for some, but I really like that British British humor in it. 
All right. Well, we will talk about that and much more um, as uh, the, once the Oscars arrive. Until then, you've got uh, entertainment tonight, right? All right. I think it's time for us to actually get on board and talk about some films. Totally gonna like like we play that me humming the entertainment tonight theme art. Uh, I don't know. We might get in trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, up first, the guillotines. Uh, this is sort of the latest um, action period epic piece uh, from directed by Andrew Lau with um, produ- uh, some production on the side coming from Peter Chan now. Um, I, I'll, I'll ask you this a little bit later, um, but I'll pose the question now, and, and it makes me wonder how much involvement Peter Chan uh, actually had in this, um, because the film does get a bit uneven in places. But let me break down a really quick synopsis. So um, <clears throat> this film takes place in the Qing Dynasty, and uh, the idea is that the Yongzheng Emperor... Um, who was the descendant of the Kangxi Emperor, who, if I have my history correct, was the founder of the Qing Dynasty. Or he was, like, one of the really great rulers of the Qing Dynasty. Um, But anyway, the Yongzhe Emperor, he establishes a secret assassination squad known as the Guillotines, who go out and eliminate people uh, who oppose him. And uh, their favored weapon of choice is the flying guillotine, this device which decapitates people um, fast and efficiently. And uh, they're a secret squad because, you know, basically they're they're sent out by the emperor to operate in secret so that the idea that he's actually sending out a squad of assassins doesn't reflect poorly on his, his reign. Um, but this film actually takes place during the Qianlong Emperor's reign, who was the son, one of the, des- the descendant of uh, the Yongzheng Emperor. Um, and so the guillotines have been exist- in existence for a number of decades. And this story kind of takes place when the Qianlong Emperor, uh, he's waging a war against a group of rebels, what, what he considers rebels. Um, actually, they're more like minority peoples, um, known as the herders. And uh, it, Basically, he sends the he sends the guillotines out to capture the leader, uh, who's known as uh, Heavenly Wolf Tianlong, and that he's played by Wang Xiaoming, who we just saw right in the last tycoon. Yes, yeah. Um, but here he's all long haired out and bearded up, so he looks nothing like Chai. And Jesus up. Yeah, he he does. He kind of looks like Jesus, um, and he's sort of like a Jesus like figure. Um, he's he's captured by initially by the guillotines. Um, but he promptly escapes, and he takes one of them, the only female member of the troop, troop um, an assassin named Musen, and he t- takes her hostage. And so the rest of the guillotines have to go out and rescue her. Um, and because of sort of their failure in losing uh, Wolf, Heavenly Wolf, um, the, the emperor assigns an uh, imperial guard uh, named Haidu, who's played by Sean Yu, to go along with them. Uh, of course, uh, his character, Haidu, has a history that's intertwined with the main character of the story, 
named Lang, who's played by Ethan Wan. And so that kind of sets up this parallel between this Imperial Guard character and this gil the, the main character from the guillotines, Lang, and sort of doing flashbacks and flashing back to their relationship as they try and hunt down this rebel leader named Wolf um, and recapture or reclaim their rescue, their, uh, their former comrade. Things get really convoluted and complex uh, after that, though. And um, the film kind of descends into what could be best described as a decapitated mess. Mm. Um, I, 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 and I have to say I've been looking forward to this film for a long time since I heard about it because I loved and I still love the original guillotines and I like the sequel. Um, the, the original is the flying guillotine and the sequel is uh, flying guillotine 2. Uh, the original st was uh, directed by Ho Hua and starred... Uh, Chen Quan Tai, and then the sequel uh, of was uh, Dick Long, who came in to play the same character that Chen Quan Tai uh, was playing. Both of those films took place uh, under the Yongzheng Emperor, when when the it's sort of about the origin of the Guillotines group, and how the device was created, and uh, then how one of the Guillotines ends up um, kind of rebelling against the group and becomes hunted down. Um, and I love those two movies. I loved, I remember seeing them as a kid and, you know, just having this thing that looked like, um, you know, one of those, uh, things you use to cover dishes, you know, big, fancy, expensive dishes. I can't remember what they're called. Um, but you know, like one of those platter covers that you see covering the turkey at Thanksgiving and you just take that and you fling it out at somebody and it lands on their head and then you pull the chain and off comes the head. Great violent stuff, right? Loved it as a kid. Um, so I was looking forward to seeing sort of this updated take on it. Um, and arguably, because of the time period that this um, film is in, you could see it as sort of a distant sequel to these films, um, because it is taking place in the era of Qianlong um, and, and not in, in the era of Yongzheng. So it's like the final days of the guillotines, basically. Um, because part of the issue is that uh, the Qianlong Emperor kind of wants to get rid of the guillotines. That's one of the things, because they're seen as sort of this stain on the imperial legacy, because they're sort of like a, 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 you know, a black spot. It's like if you were a black ops group working for President Obama, and then suddenly people found out about it, so you kind of want to get rid of them, you know, to get rid of that uh, that that sort of stain on 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 history, and. Uh, another connection is that Jimmy Wang Yu is here in a small role, and he was also in a Guillotines film, but not the two I'm talking about. He was in one that came out of Taiwan, which goes by a couple names. One version is called Master of the Flying Guillotine. It's actually, I guess, a sequel to The One-Armed Swordsman, and I haven't seen uh, that version, so I'm not too familiar with it. But basically according to the, the historic timeline, this kind of comes considerably after uh, the, the, those first two films. Um, so some of my problems with the film. First, the guillotine designs are kind of lame, and they're too far-fetched. They're, they're not the flying dinner platter covers of, you know, the, the, the 70s that I grew up with. Uh, these are um, these kind of like fancy chakras, you know, if you remember the, if you've seen Xena Warrior Princess, you know, the thing that she flings out 
um, at people. It's kind of, they're kind of like that, except the guillotine assassins here use a, use a sword-like device, kind of like the sport highlight. I don't know if you guys know what highlight is, but that's a very famous, um, popular gambling sport in South Florida. And you get these players uh, in this, like, cage, and they've got these things on their arm. They're, they're like these, uh, uh, these, these gloves with, like, long hoops on them, and they fling these balls out of them. And anyway, that's how the guillotines work here. Um, and so the, these, these um, chakrams get flung really fast, and if they happen to hit you in the neck, they'll wrap around your neck, and then it goes into super CGI mode, and it can trap you, and it can cut your head off. And it's just way too over the top. Um, but the good thing is you don't actually get to see it all that much. Uh, you get a, a sort of an explosive action scene right in the first five minutes, and then you never see him again. <laughs> and uh, that's probably a spoiler, but I'm sorry. Uh, if you're going into this looking for guillotines, you can leave after the first five minutes, because <laughs> that's about it. Um, my other problem here, too, is that you don't learn, aside from the main characters, uh, Lang and Haidu, you don't learn much about the other characters, and you don't really care about them. Um, as conflicts start to arise, as they're sent on this sort of final mission, and, and some of the loyalties and tensions start to break down and things start to fall apart, you don't get a sense of who they are. And the thing is, is you're supposed to, I think they want you to care about these people, especially when things, when, you know, when, you know, when the stuff starts to hit the fan, but you don't have enough time with them. It tries to show some flashbacks, but those flashbacks shouldn't be flashbacks. They should have been stuff that you've already encountered before. Um, and so part of me felt like this was, it really feels like the third film of two other films, but in those two other films, what you've seen is you've seen all these characters coming together for the first time, working together for the first time, going on missions together, being successful, getting in fights, you know, getting hurt, recovering, building a history so that then the things you see happening in this film, actually, you actually feel something for these characters. I didn't feel anything for these characters, and I think that they wanted me to. And so for me, it felt like it was the third part of a movie that I hadn't seen parts one or two, or it felt like the last episode of a TVB drama. And they'd been, you know, they'd built up all this history with these characters and now bad things were happening and you're really supposed to feel for them. I didn't feel anything. Hmm. Um, so we need, we needed the earlier parts. Um, there are a few um, historical things that I could talk about. Um, one of my other problems, aside from the CG, was the explosions. Things blow up here like they had C4 coming out their wazoos back in the <laughs> Qing Dynasty. I mean, soup. I, mean, I know they had fireworks, and um, a couple of the guys actually have um, shoulder-mounted rockets, right? <laughs> did you did you see that part where they've got like bamboo strung together, and then they're launching like fire? Cracker rockets out of bamboo. I was just yeah, cracking they're up. They're like rockets with, with, with arrows yeah. and cloud arrows. Who, and all who that. knew? Oh, you know, Qing Dynasty rocket launchers. I, now, I do know that they did have, um, you know, I've seen some some uh, military books of like uh, ancient Chinese warfare. And I knew they, they had some siege weapons, you know, like these, um, you know, these sort of these wheelbarrow type devices where they were using um, munitions and stuff. But from what I read, it wasn't all that effective. But to see these guys put these things on their shoulders and start firing them like, you know, bazookas from World War II, I just started laughing. Um, 
But yeah, there are a few historical points that kind of popped in my head. The herders, this group that uh, who you th- the, the, who starts out as the main villain, uh, Wolf, uh, is sort of in charge of. You can kind of see that they kind of res- resemble the Meow, the Mao people a little bit. Um, they don't wear the same kind of costumes, but um, uh, if I remember my history correct, correct, Chin Long I think did have a suppression of some of the minority groups, and he did have some military actions against some of them. And he was known for trying to clean up the government somewhat in his younger years. He did want to kind of reform things and get out of the shadow of his father, who was seen as really a kind of a vicious, um, you know, autocrat kind of a guy, very tyrannical. And that's how he's portrayed in, in a lot of the movies. I mean, the, the two, he's sort of the main villain of the two, uh, uh, flying guillotine, the original flying guillotine movies. He's the villain in both of those. Um, and so, but my, my biggest problem with the film was the logic of the film. Part of the logic of the film is we've got to get rid of the guillotines because they're outdated, right? And we've got Western technology. We've got these, uh, the, you know, these, uh, rifle squads using, you know, these musket style weapons. And we've got cannons now. We've got this Western technology that can kill much further than the guillotines can. So we don't need them anymore, Right. Um, the technology is better, but not based on what they show you in the first five minutes, right? Because with these freaking CGI things, you know, it's like they've got micro machines in there. It's like they're using nanobots um, <laughs> to, to make these things work the way they do. It's like magic. And I'm thinking, if you've got this level of technology, I mean, you don't need guns, right? Because this stuff is is much more advanced. So the logic kind of falls through. Uh, when they when they first show you what these devices can do, the way they can work, they should have stuck with the old devices. Um, you know, the old device, it looks kind of corny, uh, but from what I remember, I think it was episode one seventy five of Myth Mythbusters. They actually tried to make the flying guillotine, <laughs> and the result was that it was plausible um, that you could actually create a device uh, that could do damage and could possibly, uh, you know, de uh, decapitate someone. So I'm not, you know, I, I know that these are mythical devices and they're, they're, there's no real evidence. They've got sketches and drawings and of things, but there's no real evidence that these actually existed. But it is a plausible thing if you go based on the designs from the old movies, not on these sort of fancy Batman-esque, you know, new, new style designs. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of just ruined the whole nostalgia for me for the film. Now, if you can separate out that first 10 minutes of spectacle, then what you get is you get an okay film about a band of, you know, royal assassins who are getting outdated by Western tech. And from that perspective, you know, it's not a terrible film. It's it's okay. Um, But if you go in thinking, yeah, I'm going to see flying guillotines and I'm going to see lots of decapitations and it's going to be great and you're just going to, disappointed um and you know they throw in some aspects of things like stockholm syndrome and some other stuff there's some plot twists and then it gets to the ending and i'm thinking what ending this film doesn't end it just kind of gives you a historical blurb and i'm thinking really i just sat through you know two two hours of all this to get to nothing um so yeah very disappointed unfortunately and, you know, I, I know I'm being down on the film probably more than it deserves because there is an okay film here. There is no, an there okay isn't. film. 
but you just have to be prepared for it. If you just want to see the guillotines leave after the first 10 minutes, if you want to see another film, come 10 minutes late <laughs> and watch the rest. Um, and TV it if you've got nothing better to do. Kevin. Yes. Um, no, there isn't a decent movie here. Oh my God, what a mess. Um, I'm baffled how... And you were going to ask, right, how, how much Peter Chan involvement has. Um, Peter Chan's the boss. It's his production company. The film was made under his production company. So essentially, he's the guy who passed the film, who allowed the film to well, be that's made. Why, you know, he's the guy who wanted the film to be made. If I can jump and in if, and, 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 and interrupt you very briefly... You know, it seemed like that first 10-minute period is almost a different movie, right? Yes. And it seems like, I don't know, they looked at that and and they said, oh, this looks terrible. We, we can't, you know, we can't make a whole movie like this. This is just garbage. And then they went and made something different. Or they made the last half and they said, oh, this isn't really about guillotines we need something fancy and they went and they rushed and they did that first part i don't i, I don't know i mean it's... well no according to the, a lot of the making of the opening actually is a very important part of the film so it seemed like they spent a lot of time shooting that it seemed like that was going to be the rest of the film um but in fact it wasn't it was only the first three minutes of the film it's like the rest of the film they couldn't bring out the guillotine again for whatever reason that they had you can say it's china you can say it's money whatever it is but like you were saying, the the weapon doesn't make any sense because it's like it's like a freaking transformer. Yeah, it's, it's like a freaking it's, Autobot. It's nonsense. Um, it, it's like it's like imagine the the Fast and Furious car shot, but going through this super, uh, uh, um, uh, um, gadgety weapon thing that decapitates people, but made in like what what period this movie take place in? I don't know, like like hundreds of years ago, right? Uh, it doesn't make sense at all. Um, and actually, if it was a bit of simple escapism, and they keep that weapon for the rest of the movie, if it gives me a you know kick-ass action finale with that thing, I wouldn't have minded so much. But it only shows up in for three minutes. Um, so that's why I was really I, I'm really baffled at how Peter Chen could let this movie be made. Um, and this is like, and this is an expensive movie. This wasn't a cheap movie to make. I think it cost over a hundred million RMB. So why waste all that money on a film with a script? that is so ill-conceived that it shouldn't have been made in the first place. Um, the, uh, sadly, the, uh, the other 110 minutes of the film is a very thinly drawn brotherhood story with very uninteresting characters. Um, there's a whole, you know, the band uh, of, of married assassins. I don't even know who they are. I couldn't separate any of them except, you know, Ethan Ron and Jim Boron and Sean um, uh, 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 Yu because the, other, the others, I haven't seen them before and they're just, you know, they don't really do anything. Um, so when when the many crying start, I don't feel anything for them because I don't know who they are. And the truth is, Peter Chan films actually has uh, 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 has always had trouble with brotherhood. He can't he can't really illustrate brotherhood in a believable manner. Um, think of the warlords, where you're really supposed to believe that these three men, uh, Takeshi Kaneshiro, Andy Lau, and and Jet Li are supposed to be like brothers, and he does it by showing them playing hacky sack. So here, the hacky sack becomes corn. Apparently, these three men, they share, or these whole band of merry assassins, share corn. Well, no, I mean, think back too to the the flashbacks with um, the Qianlong Emperor when he was a boy. Oh no, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm talking about the guillotine team of guillotine. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he did the, he did the same cool. thing. You know, they were playing like uh, soccer. Know, yeah, soccer they were together. playing soccer. Yeah, or something, right? 
Uh, but yeah, it, no, it's, it's, again, this is like he they can't illustrate Bond, you know, in a meaningful uh, way with incidents. They just do it with like, oh, look, here's them playing. So therefore, they must be good friends. I'm sorry. Does that mean that if I go play pickup basketball games, I'm not, uh, you know, in like L.A., I'm automatically brothers with everyone that I'm playing with? <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Um so, so it's really, really thinly drawn. It's really shallow. Um, so by the time all that stuff happens, I don't care for it. The um, a lot of people, or the advertising, are trying to connect the film to a uh, Young and Dangerous, uh, partly because they they blatantly use the theme song in the film, um, and it's a completely different thing. Because first of all, Young and Dangerous is about gang of hoodlums. They're about gangsters. It's about uh, street crime. It's about it's a real brotherhood film. Here it's like okay, these guys are on a hunt for someone, and I don't feel anything for them. I don't know anything about them, and they never tell me anything about them. So there is no connection to Young and Dangerous, um, and it's an insult to Young and Dangerous to even bother doing that. Um, the ending of the film, the supposed ending of the film, is a mix of the Last Samurai and Hero, um, which just tell you, which just tells you how unsatisfying the the, the the finale is. Really, it's a very lame mix of that. Um, even the 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 other explosions at the end don't really compensate for anything. So if you're looking for an action film, don't look here. Really, all the action here is is just like lots of guns and lots of explosions, um, and and uh, the the five cows splitting up someone's body. And I just said, <laughs> I forgot about that. Cows, yeah. Uh, Andrew Last Direction is a mess. This is the guy who's going to be the filmmaker in focus at the Hong Kong International Film Festival, and I honestly still don't know why. Uh, his direction is a mess. Um, he can't even shoot coverage on a conversational scene uh, properly. He 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 barrage you with sounds and and flashy editing, but can't even make the story engaging. Um, this guy won't pass for that's why i was so frustrated at inferno affairs being so over over um, overrated because his quote-unquote stylish direction really ended up hurting the film and it hurts this film and it's hurt other films um so i, I you know i can't believe andrew Lau still gets as much respect as just as a director he's a fine cinematographer let's face it but i, I can't believe he still gets as much respect as a director um i saw it in 3d thankfully for free because i was at a screening um don't bother don't bother i mean if the guillotines only show up for three minutes that means you only get 3d for about three minutes and the rest of it is uh not worth watching so uh, Paul was a little more lenient. He said, TV it if you have nothing to do. I say just skip it and save yourself 113 minutes and $20 of your $20 from your wallet. Yeah. Um, go watch. Go watch The Grandmaster again or something. We'll yeah. tell, we'll talk well, later. Or watch the original Flying Guillotine. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. All right. Let us move on to talk about our second film. And that is, at long last, The Grandmaster from Wong Kar Wai. So Kevin, you are the... Wong Karai guru on this team, so tell us about the Grandmaster. Sure, uh, the Grandmaster. Um, it's a long gestating project from the uh, from Wong Kar Wai. Uh, he said he said that he came up with the idea for the for the film back in uh, 1996, I believe, uh, and uh, the film's production began in 2009, 2010, uh, and he finally finished the film. It took him three years to do it. Um, the film was envisioned, I think a lot of people, it was pitched as a biopic of Ant-Man. This before the Donnie 
Yen It Man was made, and um, he registered a title. He was the first director actually to make the It Man story. Um, and then it became something else. Um, so Tony Lawrence stars as It Man. Uh, the film begins with uh, kind of his life story. He, you know, grew up in Foshan. Uh, he comes from a very rich family, so he lives on inheritance. Um, and he started learning martial arts when he's seven. Uh, I talk about the the Pudat Ling, the the street of martial artists that he li- that he he works or lives on in uh, Foshan, and introduces this world where um, uh, 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 where a lot of martial arts school are, where essentially southern styles are centered, and um, there's a brothel named the Golden Pavilion, where um, actually a lot of the northern style masters are are essentially hiding. Um, so that's that, so that's the setup of the setting in the first first half of the film. Uh, but the real plot begins uh, when the head of the Chinese Martial Artists Association, um, what's his name, Bao Shen, Bao Shen, uh, yeah, Gong Bao Shen, uh, comes from north for a retirement uh, retirement dinner, so to speak, for his second retirement dinner. Um, and he, he decides that he wants one last duel before his retirement, and he wants someone from the representing the southern styles uh, to come in and, and challenge him uh, for one last fight um, because he's the northern style. So, so, his, um, so it's about north versus south. Um, in China, it, it, the demographic is very much north versus south and the same thing in martial arts. So these, the, um, southern, the southern styles people, they recommend, they push, they decide to endorse a man, ask that man, because uh, then he, and it's very important because he's actually not, one of the respected elders, he's still very young at that point, um, and he gets pushed out to become the representative of of the uh, for the South. And um, after a, a duo, so to speak, with uh, of Gong, Gong Baoshan, uh, he becomes a the new respected figure in the uh, Southern styles. But at the same time, um, Gong Baoshan's daughter, uh, Gong Er, played by Zhang Ziyi. Um, uh, wants the family to to keep continue their undefeated record. So, so she is determined to reclaim the family honor, and that begins uh, her rivalry with It Man, uh, which also actually becomes a friendship of sorts, and even maybe something more. Um, so the the plot goes on, it becomes then it becomes focused on the Zhang Ji character, uh, on the Gong family, uh, while uh, it does go back to It Man and talk about his uh, life. Um, during the war, a brief part about his life during the war, and when he moves moves to Hong Kong to become a, uh, a teacher, a martial arts teacher in 1950. Um, but also, um, actually, there's a third story a, about a guy named the Razor, played by Chang Chang. Uh, actually, in the film in Chinese name, it's called Yi Shan Tian. Uh, he is of the Baji school of martial arts. Uh, this, the film cuts out a lot of his plot, but essentially, the sto- the idea is that. He is a um, member of the China Martial Arts Artists Association, uh, who also actually does a lot of spy work during the the, the Sino-Japanese War. And the film is about briefly touches about his his he trying to get out of that secret life of, as a spy and going to Hong Kong and uh, starting a barbershop and uh, bringing ba- his style Baji Chuan uh, the Baji style into Hong Kong. Um, so that's about the gist of it. Uh, I'm very happy to see that the film finally made it. Um, even though it's a, they, they promised it to be an It Man biopic, it is not an It Man film. Uh, it Man is a major character of the film. Uh, in fact, the film starts, you know, it's a life story, and then it ends um, talking about the end of his life. It's not a spoiler. I mean, come on, It Man 
died. He's, he, he died in 1970, so let's face it, you know. Um, so it's not a spoiler. So It Man is a character, but this is a film about the martial world that It Man occupies. So the film is about his school, Wing Chun. It's also about Baji Baji, um, which is the, the Gong family school. It's about Bagua. I'm sorry, Bagua is the Gong family yeah. style. Baji is the one that the Chen Chen character uh, occupies. And it's about the traditions and the philosophy between behind each school, the idea of each each style, and how they reflect in the the character that represents those styles. So the film is um it's about it's actually it's a film about grandmasters. It's not a film about grandmaster, um, and it's not a myth making film. You know, like the the Wong Kar Wai, I mean uh, the Wong Fei Hung films. It doesn't turn. Ip Man or any of these artists into this mythical character it doesn't use um, martial arts as a nationalism tool. Um, a lot of these people are fighting; they fight for something, but the outcome usually turns out to be not not. They're not always glorious, if you know what I mean. They they always pay a price in the end for for what they do for the for the fighting for um, whatever they try to achieve, um, which is what. Essentially, the first line of the film is about it says uh, the Tony Leung character, Ip Man says, in martial arts, um, Gong Fu is two words. One is horizontal and one is vertical. So the one left standing in the end, you know, it's only about the last man standing. And it's not about the glory. It's not about winning. It's just about who is still left standing. Um, so it's not very glorious. Uh, it's not glamorous film in terms of uh, depicting martial arts. Um so, like I said, it's a movie about grandmasters, and in that sense, Zhang Ji owns the film, uh, playing Gong Er. Uh, I think her her story, which is about reclaiming family honor and sticking to traditions or sticking to um, the, the price she pays for honor, is actually I think is a very intriguing uh, part story of the film. Um, also, I would like to see more of the the bar the razor's story about him leaving the secret agent life and trying to trying to start a new life in Hong Kong, um, using a very aggressive brutal style of of uh, martial arts. Um, but his story got actually got the shaft. Ironically, in the movie that was supposed to be the Ip Man biopic, Ip Man is the most boring character of the Free Masters, because his character is very um, is not very assertive in a way that he is. Um, always um he's always acting in the face of situations not he doesn't create things so he's not a very interesting character to follow but you know his of course tony learn is great he devoted a lot of time all three actors devote a lot of time doing martial arts and it shows here um but i really wanted more chang chang um more 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 chang chang but um because of the length uh his his third story got got the most um uh, cuts and uh, sadly, in the end, the Grandmaster does feel like an incomplete film. Um, Wong Kar apparently just finished the film uh, today's Friday, right? He only finished the film about six days ago, from what I know. So, so um, it was done as a rush job, and uh, you know, the films, the, the individual parts of the film are great. There's a lot of breathtaking parts. There's a uh, a part that I think Paul you talk about later. There's a a series of um, a sequence in which before it man takes on um, the 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 Gong Baosheng character, he goes through. He gets a pointer from from the his four uh, four people in the in the pavilion, the Gong Pavilion, uh, who represent the northern styles, and they each give him a pointer uh, through through uh, three different spar sparring sessions. And I thought that was that was the movie that was the 
part that made the movie for me. That was like, okay, now I'm into it. Now I'm, now I'm pumped up. I'm ready to sit for the rest of it. And of course, the rest of the action is great. And there's a lot of good dramatic stuff here that, uh, a lot of great dramatic scenes, a lot of great lines. But essentially, these little parts are much greater than the film as a whole because it still feels incomplete. Um, it, the storytelling is a little muddled. The narrative is a little disjointed. Um, so, so, so it is not a perfect film. Um, but of course, like I said, the action is breathtaking, especially when you put it in the narrative context. There are no random fights for fights. They're all trying to say something. They're all pushing something about, uh, you know, pushing the plot along or, or there's a reason why these people fight. So, so there's definitely no fighting for the sake of fighting here. Um, but do beware. A uh, friend of the show, Michael Swen, uh, he, after he saw the film, uh, he wrote on his Facebook and I think it, it sums the film up perfectly. This is not a martial arts film. This is a film about martial arts, but this is not a martial arts film. Um, so it is, like I said, it's about a lot, of, a lot of the philosophy and it's about the practice of martial arts, but it's not about, it's not a martial arts film. So it's not a film that will get you pumped up. It's not going to, it doesn't have any real, it only has one clear villain, but even then, um, it's not a villain that you love to hate. There's no Mr. Twister here or evil Japanese people. Um, the co-writer of the film, Shu Haofun, uh, he's actually a director in his own right. He made the sword at Dendley and and, and Josh, Josh, uh, Judge Archer, uh, two 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 uh, kind of independent films, but martial art films. Um, he is a martial arts scholar. He's written novels. He's also a direct descendant of one of the schools depicted in the film. So he brought a lot, a lot to the to the to the um, writing aspect and and to the. Um, scholarly aspect of the film about each martial arts schools and differences and uh apparently there was a very detailed fight between the Zhang Zi character and and the and it man and it's all about the bagua bagua style the very detailed depiction that got cut out but it's all Shu Haofen wrote it beautifully apparently um his dialogue also is great even though I didn't understand a third of it when I first watched it in Chinese in Mandarin um but he brought a lot to the film um, it is not my favorite Wong Kar Wai film, but this is his best film in over a decade since In the Mood for Love. Um, I think it's very engaging, but it doesn't lose his flavor. It didn't lose any of his flavor. Lots of philosophy stuff. Of course, there's still longing, unrequited love, and you know feelings and stuff like that. But it kind of plays to the background of of the his 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 um, narrative about the martial arts world, and and that's why I really liked about it. So the word the wait was well worth it. It's not a perfect film, but it was worth waiting for it. So yeah, um, see it, see it, see it, see it. I don't have to tell you, see the Grandmaster. Uh, Paul, what do you think? Okay, so this is my favorite Wong Kar Wai film to date, <laughs> but I'm not a big fan of Wong Kar Wai. Can you tell? Um, I, I know I've I've often joked that I prefer Wong Jing films over Wong Kar Wai films, but it's true. Um, the I think that uh, of the work that. He's done. I haven't seen the one he did with the Nicole Kidman. What was that? Uh, Brewery Nights. No, a Brewery is Nora Jones and Jude Law. My Brewery Nights. What, what, what did There's he do? No Nicole Kidman. Uh, yeah, but that's his film, right? My Brewery Nights is a film, but there's no Nicole, Nicole yeah, Kidman in it. It's yeah. uh, yeah, I got her mixed up. Uh, I haven't seen that film, but um, uh, until this film came out, I you know Ashes of Time has been my go-to sort of Wong Kar Wai film. And that's always been more for the source material, more so than what Juan Carway did with it. And don't talk to me about Ashes of Time redo, please. <laughs> um, so, 
this is a slick and stylish film. Uh, you you see it in the trailer. Uh, much of this film was shot in slow motion. Uh, there was so much slow motion that it made me wonder if they had done regular speed, would this film be as long? <laughs> um, but it's very stylistic. It's very artistic. Um, and there are, of course, lots of little touches and, and attentions to detail that stand, stand out more than, you know, a martial arts film. And I think if we go by what Stephen was talking about, that's what this film is about more so than, you know, a normal martial arts film, more so than, say, looking at Donnie's Ipmon films. Those films are about getting to the fight scene, right? Not to take away from, from Donnie and, and Samo and the other actors in the film, but really you go into those films saying, all right, when's Donnie going to unleash? Um, hmm. Oh, Donnie and Samo are on the table, right? Uh, this is going to be good. Oh, who's this crazy Mr. Twister guy? Why is he so over the top? You know, those are the moments you look forward and forward to, and the dialogue in between, you know, it kind of gets you there. It it's, can still be really good dialogue, but it kind of gets you there. Wong Kar Wai kind of takes the opposite approach. You know, you're as interested in what's going on between the fight scenes, not from a narrative sense, but more from what he's doing visually. At least that's that's how I see his films. And um, and so I really appreciated this film. Um, but I also appreciated because of some other points that I'll get to in, in just a moment. Now, in terms of authenticity, uh, this is about as authentic as the Donnie Ip Man movies. Hmm. Uh, based on what I know of, of Ip Man's life, almost none of what I've read about Ip Man appears here. Um, if you've read any of, you know, some of the history, even just go through some of the stuff on Wikipedia, you know, they talk about him being a police officer. Um, they talk about in Foshan, they talk about him being, um, uh, a member, an officer in the Kuomintang, none of that here. And, you know, part of me wonders why make this about it, man, if you're going to take, make it such a, you know, you could say this of the Donnie movies too, but if you're going to make it such a divergent stretch from the reality of the man's life, you know, why even, why not just make it fictional characters? I mean, it's not like he hasn't done that before. Um, you could still tell this exact same story. And, and like Kevin was saying, this isn't an Ip Man movie, really. It doesn't need to be about Ip Man. Um, and the fact that this is a martial arts master who does Wing Chun, you know, it is what it is. It, um, so... Part of me questions the need to connect it like that. Um, and, and, and you know, there's this sense, one of the things we got talking into a little bit after the film was this sense of, you know, with the recent Donnie films and then the Herman Yao films and there's another film coming out, there has been this kind of push to make it man into this, um, into this Wong Fei Hong type of character, which he really wasn't. Based on you know what I've what I know of, of and what I have read of the history, um, and and I'll get a bit more into that in a bit. But um, the action is top notch and it keeps its artistry. And I think that if you're like me, and you're not a big Wong Kar Wai fan, um, there's not enough artistry here to put you off, right? Which is great. But on the other side of that coin. The commercialism here might disappoint some really hardcore Wong Kar Wai fans. Well, um, but speak as a Wong Kar, hardcore Wong Kar Wai fan, um, I thought it, it, it the balance. I thought it wasn't commercial enough. Still, you, so you thought it was okay. 
I thought it was okay in the yeah, Warren Kawai film. It's, I, I think it's still all the weakness weaknesses of a Warren Kawai film is still here, and all the artistic indulgence, uh, you know, are, are still here. And I, th- I think Warren Kawai fans um, will be will end up okay. With See, for okay. me, I think he's 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 come closer to a more a balance more for people like me who are not into the artistry as much yeah. as people in the art circuit, art film circuit. And I think that this is a much more approachable film for a general audience than a lot of his other work. Um, it's much more approachable, approachable than Ashes of Time, for sure. Um, again, I'm speaking of the original Ashes of Time, not Redo. Um, now, the thing that struck me, and Kevin mentioned this, is that on the big billboard, if you see the big billboard, um, there are four master characters on the billboard. And each of them get some time but it's very uneven. Most of the film is is Zhang Ziyi's baby, um, which is okay. She's great. I like her, and she does a fine job uh, as the character. And but if you're not a big Zhang Ziyi fan, you may have a problem with that because she does get a considerable amount of screen time, and you might be wanting to see more of some of the other characters that don't get as much screen time. In particular, Chang Che's character, who's awesome, and just you know, there's not enough of him. You really want to see more about him. And this is me saying this now. This is the guy who hates two-hour movies. Um, you know, I like my movies solid 90 minutes. But I'll say it, even at 133 minutes, we need a longer film. Because <laughs> I want to see more of those other characters, especially the, especially Chang Chia's character. Um, there is some, what I read as some nice homage to um, to Bruce Lee. Now, there's an issue where they can't talk about Bruce Lee uh, in the film, and maybe Kevin can speak to that a little in a little bit. But um, um, there is a character that shows up, a very young kid, who kind of has a lot of facial features of a very young Bruce Lee. M- maybe it's not supposed to be him. Again, this really isn't Ip Man's life uh, that we're seeing. Um, and so, you know, you can read into it what you will. But I think it was kind of intentional. Um, there's also, there, there's a scene early on where Ip Man is preparing to go and face, uh, with, face off with Master Gung. And so he's getting these pointers from the other masters. Um, and I think they're southern masters. They're northern. They're northern. But, 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 but the one master was using Hung Kun, which is a southern style. And he was switching it up with some animals, animals some Shaolin animal styles, which I think um have southern roots so i don't know yeah the idea is that he's a mix yeah, yeah. he's a mix but um writer. but the other two the other two masters were were definitely uh northern because they were teaching him because the the bagua style merges merged the, the um the gong family merged the other styles yeah well the gong family has yeah. two styles they have they have yeah. bagua and they have singy yeah, yeah. Uh, merged and together Singyi was one of the free masters that yeah. uh he sparred with um so anyway and to as he's doing this sparring he's basically walking up different levels of this uh, brothel where each of the masters is staying. And I'm thinking, hey, that's Game of Death, right? And uh, actually, Kozo joked, he said, yeah, but you need a really tall black guy on one of the levels for that to work. Um, but no, I, I think that that was kind of also uh, a bit of an homage or a bit of a reference indirectly um, to Bruce Lee. And I don't know, maybe you'll read into it differently. Maybe Kevin... Uh, can comment on that as well. But, there, you know, to talk a little bit, too, about the notion of um, 
Bruce Lee and his influence. Again, as I said, this doesn't need to be a film about it, man. It can be read as a film about these, you know, just different masters. And is there a need to make this about it, man? Going back to this idea that I think that they've been pushing to create this legend of it, man, uh, as sort of a Wong Fei Hong character. Now, Wong Fei Hong was a real guy, but because of the record keeping and that period, you know, that, that, that Qing period, there's still not a lot that's known as, as fact about him. There are details, but not a lot. But that's not true with it, man. So as we get these depictions that come out and make him very Wong Fei Hong like, you know, it, it makes me question uh, some of the motivations. And again, would we care about Ip Man if there was no Bruce Lee? And this was a question that I was talking about, you know, sort of, sort of after the film. I and mean, without Bruce Lee, you, you might have Wing Chung being taught internationally, but I don't think it would be anywhere near as um, proliferated as it is today without the, that connection. The thing about the Ip Man name is that if you remember, no one knew who the hell Ip Man was until Wong Kar Wai said he was going to make a movie about him. No, and then, not... then the Raymond Wong, uh, Donnie well, maybe, Yen movie maybe in film circles, the, maybe the in film circles. So Wong Kar Wai was the one who wanted to make an Ip Man film because he was the one who wanted to make an Ip Man film. And then everyone else hopped on the bandwagon. So it was them more than Wong Kar Wai that was uh, influenced by that name or by that Bruce Lee idea because no one knew who the hell he was. Until well, I think no, that, that's not necessarily true. People who are in martial arts, people who study martial arts know who Oh, Man yeah, was. yeah. I mean, the film world. But in the, in film, the film world, film. yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, he's, he's not... I mean, you go back and you look at the history of, of martial artists they've covered. I mean, there are so many Wong Fei Hong movies. I think it's, it's up there close to the you know uh, Guinness Book of World Records for the most sequels ever made. It's not the leader, but, it, but it's up there near the top because of all the Wong Fei Hong films that have been made. Uh, going all the way back to sort of the early dawn of Hong Kong cinema. It, it just makes me wonder about, um, you know, s s some of the motivation, and, and I'm not blaming, I'm not pointing any fingers at Wong Kar Wai or even, you know, um, those involved with, with the Donnie films or Herman Yao. It just seems to me that it's very interesting that there's this resurgence about this man, yet nothing we've really seen has been all that accurate. Um, based on the stuff that's out there that's written uh, about his life. There's there's well, always people complaining that, oh, this really isn't, you know, it man. Um, so, yeah. But as far as this film goes, d whether you like Wing Chun or you don't like Wing Chun, whether you like, you know, uh, um, it man or not, this is a film to see. Um, it's a great way to start off 2013. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. And as I said, I'm really... I'm hoping we get an extended version release, not a redo, because, you know, God forbid he takes out fight scenes. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, um, you know, hoping, to, hoping to get an, an extended release. I mean, it's interesting, too, because as I was watching the film, I kept getting, uh, you know, little bits and pieces of stuff. It's, I mentioned the Game of Death reference. There's, there's a couple parts where I'm thinking, I was thinking, am I watching Flowers of Shanghai? Um, and, and there are a couple moments that seem reminiscent of some of, you know, Wong Kar Wai's earlier work, um, and things like In the Mood for Love and, and other stuff. So a, a, a local film critic also pointed out that, um, uh, a, a piano piece in the film is actually straight from Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah. So, th so. there's just lots of little things for film fans of all kinds, not just Wong Kar Wai fans to, to pick out. So 
Uh, definitely a film to see in 2013. Uh, Kevin, any last things you want to add about this film? Yeah, um, the reason they can't talk about all of Man's past is because um, you can't mention the Nationalist Party in China. Uh, that's true. You can't say the word Kuomintang. You can't mention that past. So that's why even in the films, uh, the other films, they all whitewash his history as a, as a Nationalist uh, Party member because, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, they can't mention it. So and... I'm sure Wong Kar Wai made that part of the film, but then he had to cut it out but yeah um he also said that the original story actually the original cut was four hours long because the chan chang story actually it takes a lot of precedence it it, it runs parallel to the um it man storyline and chan chang even has a fight with tony Leung in the film yeah which that got cut out we need to see yes we need to see it um i hope one car really does go back and, and restore that cut um for berlin for for dvd for blu-ray whatever if i will probably watch it again before that but yeah, um, I want more of Grandmaster, and yeah, absolutely, absolutely worth watching. Absolutely worth the wait. Yeah, and and also to maybe you can talk a little bit about the reason why we don't actually get a direct mention of Bruce Lee. Oh, because um, uh, Bruce Lee's name is copyrighted by his family. So every time someone wants to talk do a Bruce Lee story or talk about Bruce Lee in a film, they have to pay his family. Yeah, which was part of the issue with um. Bruce Lee, my brother, right? Yes, Bruce Lee, my brother. They they had to go um, buy. They could only buy the story of Bruce Lee before he left uh, Hong Kong because they went to his brother and bought the right to that story, and they couldn't tell anything else because um, um, Bruce Lee's widow owns that part. Well, there you have it. The Grandmasters, uh, Grandmaster, excuse me, uh, no S. Uh, definitely a film to see. So catch it at your earliest opportunity but be sure when you do that it is with uh, english subtitles which which is another thing probably you can you can uh, clarify um we've had much discussion pre-show uh before we went to the screening about why there were so few prints showing in hong kong with english subtitles my first thought was that they just didn't get it finished in enough time uh but you had some other ideas well no if they didn't finish it on t- I mean, it's a digital print, so it's not like it's difficult. They can't duplicate copies. Um, uh, I've been told by anonymous sources that the idea was that they limit the number of theaters showing the English subtitle version, so they can limit the possibility of the film being pirated overseas. I mean, they already expect the film to be pirated in China. I mean, I hear camcorded copies already out on the internet. But um, the idea is that they're hoping or they're trying to limit the possibility of a English subtitle version getting out, mm. uh, which is why they limited cinemas. Interesting. Well, so regard- so it looks like that looks like that Wong Kar won't be cutting an alternative version for Berlin because if he is, then the company has nothing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, regardless, do get out and then catch it when you can. All right. Now I think it's time uh, for this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, that's going to do it for our show this week, folks. Um, Apologies, we don't have any West Screen films for this week. And I know we originally thought we were going to talk about the Last Supper, 
Um, and I had fully intended to get out and watch this mainland China film. But unfortunately, The Last Supper got the boot. I uh, got kicked out of the cinemas just after a week um, because you know had to make room for both The Grandmaster and, uh, of course, the film we're going to be talking about on our next show, which is uh, Young and Dangerous Reloaded. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I do apologize for not being able to get that film. Hopefully next time we'll also have a couple West screen films uh, to talk about as well. Um, but if you would like to be part of the show, you can always get in touch with us over at our website at kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Uh, or you can hit us up on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you there. Um, Twitter, Twitter, we've got uh, Twitter for the show is twitter.com slash kongcast. Um, my Twitter is twitter.com slash foxlore, although I've been tweeting less and less these days. And of course, I urge you to follow Kevin Ma over at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. He often tweets about uh, stuff going on in Hong Kong cinema and other cinema news, so I'd urge you to follow him. Uh, if you'd like to drop us a line via email, and we get these from time to time, uh, sometimes we will talk about them on the show, but sometimes people just want to converse with us um, and have the comments off air. You can do that as well. Um, you can leave us some comments over at the website, or you can get us through Gmail. That's eastscreen at gmail.com. And we are over on the Facebook, facebook.com slash eastswests. Uh, so you can catch us and find out some of the updates there. Uh, usually when we do uh, have a show movement, uh, we we make some mention of it there. And I know that uh, we had planned to, we do stream the show live when we record it, but we didn't do that tonight. We were, uh, I think we were planning to, but I got held up at work and um, I didn't have enough time to prep for the live stream. It takes me some extra time to get that, the technical aspects of that set up and ready. And I, so I do apologize for no live stream for this show, for those of you who like to jump into the chat room and uh, engage with us there, but hopefully you'll see us there next week. Um, and you can also catch us over on Google+. We've got a Google Plus community called Chinese Language Cinema, and you can hop into the community. And we also do movie nights here in Hong Kong, and if you'd like to be a part of that, if you're going to be coming through Hong Kong or visiting and you'd like to come out to one of the Love HK Film sponsored movie nights. Now, I say sponsored. That doesn't mean Kozo is actually paying for our tickets. <laughs> um, it's just kind of we all get out together and we talk about the film before and after and a good time is had by all. If you're going to be in Hong Kong and you'd like to join us, drop me a line over on Google Plus and just look me up at that is Paul Fox. Um, Stitcher, you can catch us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher smart radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support. Um, additional thanks go out to Rob Gobbizers of Snouter Studios for our theme. Ross Chen, of course, of lovehkfilm.com for helping us with our movie nights and, of course, running awesome polls. Get over to his site and check out the poll. Uh, also, the K-Man for sticking with me for 136, soon to be 137 episodes, and you, the listeners. Uh, next show, 137, we're going to be talking about Young and Dangerous Reloaded, the remake coming from the not-so-Mr. Master, Wong Jing. Uh, what else will we maybe be talking about? Uh, for West Screen, a lot of West Screen films coming up. I will probably talk about uh, at least the the Impossible, and possibly uh, the Sessions All as right. well. Uh, neither of which are actually the Impossible has a has a Best Actress uh, uh, Oscar nominee. So yes, the Oscar movie, the Oscar bait movie talks mm -hmm. next week. Yeah. 
speaking of award shows, you know, they uh, they just, I think they're running CES right now, right? The Consumer Electronics Show. And uh, right before CES, they have, what is it? Uh, NMX, right? The New Media Expo, where they have the Podcast Awards, which we never get nominated for because we have like all of five listeners. <laughs> um, but it was it was neat, neat to see some of the some of the people that I follow that I listen to um, get nominated and win some awards. And uh, you know who, who knows maybe one day in the future when we get big, uh, we might be heading over to Las Vegas for the NMX. The only thing getting big is my stomach. Yeah, <laughs> and my ego. <laughs> <laughs> And that's about it. So, yeah, all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you all next week. See you all next week, everybody.